welcome back to another episode of Early Departures. I'm Ashley. And I'm Phoebe. And we are excited to tell you more stories about crazy-ass trips this week. But we're all cooped up. We'll, we'll make you feel like you're glad you can't go anywhere. Yeah, you'll be thankful you're not on any of these trips. Yeah, unless, of course, by the time this episode is uh, released, maybe some miracle will have happened and coronavirus won't be a thing anymore and we'll all be back to traveling our normal travels again. (laughs) One can hope. Well, one can hope, but I do think that this episode will probably be out in the next two weeks and we'll all probably still be cooped up in our houses. We're just going to be deeper into our bunkers by then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, where in the world are you taking me to today since I can't leave my house? So today we are going to go to Death Valley National Park. Hmm, I always wanted to go there. Um, me too. And even after this trip, I still would go. I would just go and be really prepared. Okay. Okay, so you're on a road trip. And what's the one thing you rely on to get you from point A to point B? Uh, Gas. No, close. A GPS, right? Oh. Okay, well, you know, back in my day, (laughs) we didn't have GPS. That's true. But that's kind of the point, is that now in current day, we all rely a little too much on those automated turn-by-turn directions. Sure. And death by GPS is actually a thing to be worried about. Oh, shit. So... This story starts on Saturday, August 1st in 2009, when a 28-year-old nurse from Las Vegas, Alicia Sanchez, planned an overnight camping trip for her 8-year-old son and their family dog in Death Valley National Park. Hmm. Ashley was really excited to be taking her son on a trip. They had talked about kind of exploring the U.S. together. I believe she was um, a traveling nurse. They planned on going to San Antonio and some other places, so she was really excited about this trip. She told various family members that she wanted to see Scotty's Castle, which is, I believe, a 1920s castle out there in in the National Park. Haven't been there, don't know much about it, but it seems to be one of the bigger attractions in the park that people visit. She wanted to see Scotty's Castle and planned to stay at free campgrounds around the park. Now, remember, this is August in Death Valley, where temperatures regularly reach like 118, 120 degrees. Yeah. And the landscape is barren, desolate. Sure. But Alicia packed up her her Jeep Cherokee with two cases of water, cheese sandwiches, and Pop-Tarts for the overnight trip and headed to the south side of the park. During the drive, Alicia took Owl Hole Springs Road, a gravel road on the far south side of the park that goes from the valley to the Owl Shed Mountains. Shortly after turning on the trail, her Jeep gets a flat tire. Oh, no. So... Alicia changed the flat tire. She left the old tire alongside the road, texted her family about it, gave them a heads up, and headed deeper into the park. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they had no maps, and they were just relying on the GPS in her vehicle for directions. Ugh. Alicia and Carlos, her son, continued 30 miles until the road nearly ended. At this point, the trail makes a sharp right, but she went left. Oh, her GPS shit. misled her down a road not marked on the park oh, maps at all. No. It wasn't long before her wrong turn gets even worse, and her Jeep falls into a collapsed animal burrow, trapping them. Oh, my God. So pretty much imagine you're driving down these desolate gravel wilderness roads, and your tire just falls into a giant hole that you didn't see because obviously being a burrow, it looked like regular regular ground cover. Yeah, no way. As soon as my car started to, like, fall into any kind of 
pit or hole, I would freak out. Yeah. I think all of it sounds pretty terrifying, especially when she's like you and your son out there. Yeah. So there isn't a clear timeline of when the events happened on Saturday or Sunday, just that, you know, she texted her parents on the flat tire on Saturday the 1st. But over the next few days, Alicia and her son attempted to survive on the water, Pop-Tarts, and cheese sandwiches they had available. Oh, man. At one point, Alicia attempted to hike to higher elevation to get cell service, but didn't have any luck. Uh-huh. By Wednesday, things took a turn for the worse. Her son Carlos had passed away. Oh, shit. That's the same day her family in Ohio reported her missing. Jesus. Park rangers started a brief search in the northern area of the park on Wednesday evening until nightfall and picked up their search efforts back at first light on Thursday. An interesting thing about this was they started their search on Wednesday in the northern area of the campgrounds because based on what she had told her family members, she planned on going to see Scotty's Castle. Uh And that attraction is in the northeast corner. Mm -hmm. So that's where they started Wednesday night. Didn't have any luck finding her. So again, they picked up their effort Thursday morning at 6 a.m. By Thursday morning, rangers were on the ground and had use of a helicopter from the neighboring Naval Air Station to help and assist with the search. And they started to tackle both ends of the park. So a team went to that northeast corner. Another team went to the south. Mm -hmm. By 10 a.m. in the southern region, a female park ranger came across Alicia's abandoned flat tire on the road leading up into the Owl Shed Mountains. There was only one set of tracks, so the ranger began to follow the tracks and discovered that the Jeep had left the established roadway and had driven into the wilderness. God. An hour later, the park ranger was still following the tracks and finally located Alicia in her vehicle. Alicia was conscious, but was severely suffering from sun exposure, dehydration, and was like probably fleeting knowing that her son is in the car, passed away. She's run out of food and supplies, probably at her wit's end. So definitely in a state of distress. From there, she was medevaced out of the park to a nearby hospital. Mm. In the aftermath of the situation, the chief park ranger of Death Valley said that Alicia and her son had ended up in one of the most remote and isolated areas and unsure of how she even got that far on her own. Jesus, that's crazy. Yeah. So what's also crazy, so there's this story, and then there's another story about three women who also were going to see Scotty's castle were relying solely on their GPS took a wrong turn because, you know, the GPS is like, drive 500 feet and take a left. Mm-hmm. They drove over 200 miles. Oh, my God. Into the middle of nowhere oh. of the of Death Valley National Park. You know. They got stuck. They kept driving. They came across a set of trailers at one point, and, but they were empty, so they kept driving again. Mm-hmm. They spent one night camped out in their car when their car ran out of gas. Oh, my God. And then just by, like, I don't know, the powers that be, the next morning they were able to start their car mm-hmm. and started driving back down the same path they followed broke into the trailers that they found where they were able to find some rations of like some canned beans and Mm -hmm. a hose with some water because they had only four bottles of water with them when they traveled. They just expected to go for afternoon. Yeah. They got stuck out there for another night where they stayed in these trailers until they were rescued. And they said they just solely relied on their GPS telling them where to go. And it's a huge problem, especially in these parks that are so desolate and so big. That a lot of roads that were left over from different time periods and eras yeah. end up on the GPS and uh, they're not updated. God. 
Uh, when I was in Iceland in the wintertime, it was like between Christmas and Thanksgiving years ago, the GPS in my friend and I's car kept trying to take us to roads that were closed during wintertime and were very like dangerous during wintertime. And it was very lucky that in Iceland, they put up big giant barriers on those roads because they know it happens. And they're like, nope, do not go this way. We will physically not allow you to go this way because you will die. And uh, they they got to put up some of those barriers out in <laughs> Death Valley because that's crazy. That's horrible. So speaking of winterous conditions and mountain roads, when mm. I was looking up like death by GPS, you can actually find quite a few stories and it is crazy. I mean, people driving off of freeways that haven't been finished being built oh or in the process of being demolished. People driving into lakes in the middle of the night, just following the road. Yeah. Because think about it. Sometimes the GPS pops up and is like, oh, there is a shorter route. Go left. And you just yeah. blindly follow it. This one couple, I believe they were Canadian, were traveling down to Vegas for a convention. Late at night, wife was sleeping. Husband's GPS popped up and said, this is a shortcut. Started up a mountainous road in, I believe, the southwest corner of Idaho. And within a short amount of time, the road became very treacherous and weather conditions disabled their vehicle and the husband set out to go find help. The wife ended up spending seven and a half weeks stranded oh my God. in her vehicle. <laughs> fuck? And it took two years for them to find the body of her husband and he had only made it seven miles oh from the accident. Oh my God. You know, and these are things that you think it happened back a long time ago, you know, but they happen, they happen today. They happen all the time. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Oh, my they, God. It, it was like terrifying the stories I was reading about this. Yeah. And another thing that someone mentioned is a lot of people, especially going to national parks and going out to the wilderness, yeah. you fly into an airport and you rent a car and you rent their GPS. Yeah. And you don't know if it's been updated. You don't know the last time they had the maps yeah. set up. You don't know how good their satellite connection is for the GPS system. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, I never would have thought about that part of like, oh, getting in a rental car and using their GPS. How terrifying. Well, and what's worse is that most of us, like if you or I were to fly to, you know, somewhere and then drive to Death Valley, we would be using Google Maps generally. But people from other countries who their phone doesn't work here or they don't get a SIM card to make their phone work here, those are the people who are using a GPS from a rental company that may or may not have been updated. And also, those people may or may not even be aware of what they need to do to survive in the desert or not be aware of what it looks like when you go off onto a different road that's not an actual main road like just crazy totally right because you can have a gravel road that's a main road yeah and then slightly veer off to another gravel road that you don't realize isn't the main road yeah so and you could have somebody I thought this was some you know from china or something who has no idea what main roads are supposed to look like out in the desert and so they're just like oh yeah gps told me to go this way i'll go this way that's insane mm-hmm. Ugh. so terrifying and it makes me think twice and why my mother always preaches to me about my paper map my paper map and i'm like yeah need to make sure always have those so 
the chief park ranger of Death Valley, Charlie Callaghan, has been working with GPS companies to update their roadmaps in the area to prevent this from happening again because it's happened besides these two instances just in Death Valley. Yeah. So he got in touch with someone that worked at TomTom. Yeah. And together they combed through the company's maps and changed or deleted more than 150 roads in Death Valley. Too bad no one uses TomTom anymore. <laughs> But I bet you those are the ones in the rental cars. Uh, no, I feel like those are, uh, what's that other company? Uh, MapQuest? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is that company Naptech? called? Um, no. What is that called? God. <laughs> I don't know. But he's also, he's now working with Navtech and Google Earth to, uh-huh. to update some of these roads as well. Yeah. Well, good. Jesus. Um, you know, but it's but it's a huge problem. I mean, I read stories about this happening in Spain, mm-hmm. in London. Like it is a big problem yeah. with GPS systems and people just relying on it. This one couple, they said they were driving from Chicago to Indiana and their GPS was taking them along and they drove up on a highway that had construction. They drove around the orange barrels, mm-hmm. like clearly must have been construction, drove off the bridge that wasn't completed. Jesus. 40 feet. But, you know, at the same time, back in the day, in the early 2000s, I was driving from North Carolina to Washington State, and I was in the St. Louis area, and I had no GPS. I had an atlas in my car and a MapQuest printout. I remember having those. Yeah. And uh, and I just have to, like, flip through it while I was driving, and uh, somewhere in St. Louis, suddenly there was a detour, and I followed the detour, and the detour took me down a road, and then that was it. <laughs> like, the detour did not tell me how to get back on the freeway, and I ended up in a very scary part of St. Louis, and I've always been afraid now of not using GPS, literally because of that. So... I, it's like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like, really? Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, no, you're right about that. I wonder, I wonder for these people who have been lost for days or hours. I mean, driving 200 miles just based on your GPS and yeah. not getting to where you're going is pretty alarming. Like, at what point does your gut kick in and say, hmm, this isn't right, you know? I, yeah, I mean, well, I could imagine if your GPS was telling you, you know, one thing, and if you did not have a phone that could access Google Maps... Like, mm-hmm. if you had nothing to check it against and you were just like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess that's where we're going. I can imagine, yeah. I can imagine that happening to foreign visitors. Always download Google Maps. You can download them so they're saved on your phone. You don't need Wi-Fi and they work. Download them. Yeah. Super crazy. Super scary. Look up Death by GPS. There's a ton of content out there about oh. it. Um, Something yeah. I never would have considered. Yeah. So have a GPS, but also have a working Google Maps account. Yeah, I'm going to say get a physical map. Make sure it's the kind that's got all 50 states in it. <laughs> you know, get the big so Rand you mean, McNally. You mean, you mean not the kind that was like before 1959? Yeah. Try to get one made within the last like two. Yeah, and if you're a parent who has kids who are about to leave the house. God, put it, put the maps in yeah, the car. Yeah, my parents, when I, when I left to go off to the military, they gave me an atlas. I had no car, but I had a fucking atlas. <laughs> so when I did get in my car to drive home from being in the military on the East Coast, driving home to the West Coast, I had an atlas. I knew how to get home. And in fact, when I was leaving, that was back in the day, my supervisor was like, oh, what route are you taking? And I was like, well, I don't know. I got an atlas. 
I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drive west and figure it out along the way. And he was like, no, no, you can't do that. He was like, let me map quest it for you. And for anyone who is too young to know what map quest is, it is the precursor to Google Maps. So he would not let me get on the road before I had a planned out route to get there, which now that's how people drive. But back in the day, you just took your atlas and you just went, yeah, I'll take 90 until I can't take 90 anymore. And then I'll yeah figure it out. I mean, that's how my mom still does it. So yeah, be careful going on road trips. Be prepared. So what do you've got for me this week? Well, where are we going? I am taking you on a little bit of a road trip as well because, uh, uh oh. Yeah. My story is about some Italian artists. Uh, and here I go butchering some Italian names. Uh, Giuseppina Pasqualino di Marineo. Uh, who, a.k.a. is called Pippa Baca, and Sylvia Morrow. They believed that, quote, in the world, there were more positive than negative people, and that it was right to be trusting. They believed that if we could all just know and trust each other, world peace was possible. Okay. Are they, like, artist partners? Are they friends? They're they... just friends. Okay. Just friends who were having, like, an art project together, basically, who, incidentally, were a lot more optimistic about people and the world than you or I are. I was going to say, this is, like, our art project together <laughs> with a lot less optimism. So they came up with an idea for a f- performance art project titled Brides on Tour where they would wear white wedding dresses while hitchhiking from Italy through the Balkans and into the Middle East. Hmm. They planned to traverse nearly a dozen countries, many of them recently ravaged by war, to show that, quote, by overcoming differences and lowering the level of conflict, individuals and cultures could come together. What's it to do with the wedding dresses? Yeah, so the wedding dresses were meant to be symbolic of the, the, quote, marriage between different peoples and nations. So, you know, real artsy-fartsy kind of stuff going on. <laughs> they, they were, you know, young, young idealistic artists, these girls, basically. Okay. Uh, and also Italian, <laughs> for what that's worth. The project's website further explained that hitchhiking is choosing to have faith in other human beings and man, and that it, quote, is a poor way of traveling, and we want to underscore that you can't foster love between people if you're holed up in business class. You can't say, go to Mauritius and eat pasta. You won't understand people until you break bread with them, because it is a small diversities that you will find similarities. I would rather be in business class. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm never hitchhiking ever. Uh, yeah. Well, technically, I think we did it once, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> I think we agree to disagree if it was hitchhiking or not. Oh wait, is this in Cuba? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, and I had to hitchhike. Uh, sometimes in American Samoa, which was very scary when I look back on it, but. It was necessity, and I feel like when we were in Cuba, it was a necessity, and for these... Oh, totally was. For these yeah, artists, it was like it the was only way we were getting home. necessity. Yeah. Yeah. But again, yeah, I'm, I'm not... I have no plans to hitchhike ever. Yeah. Hitchhiking is uh, the actual worst. Let alone to meet people. It's like the worst 
Oh, I never my want God. to meet anyone hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah. Especially when I see people hitchhiking because I, I feel like I see them pretty frequently here in the South. Yeah. And no, they, no. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like no someone I want to be friends with. And I used to see them all the time in the Pacific Northwest and they'd, you'd be in some mountain pass in the middle of nowhere and they'd be standing on the side of the freeway trying to get a ride and I'm like, Okay, I know that I would not pick up a hitchhiker ever, so the people who will pick up a hitchhiker, that's the kind of people who are going to be picking you up if you decide to go. It's not going to be people like me who are like, I would never hurt anyone, <laughs> you know? like Yeah. Because as much as I would never hurt anyone, I also wouldn't want to pick up somebody who might hurt me. So if you're willing to pick somebody up, even though they might hurt you, there might also be something wrong with you. I don't know. That's just my personal thought process on the matter. Right. The the weirdness can go both ways. Yeah, it's like that uh that Marx quote of like I wouldn't want to be a part of any club that would have me. Uh, I wouldn't want to be picked up by anyone who would pick up a hitchhiker. You know what I mean? Like it's not probably not normal people who are willing to pick you up. But anyway, they plan to travel together sometimes and separately other times and to stop along the way at galleries, foundations, and other cultural centers to meet with local artists, craftsmen, and midwives. Moro, who would ask women various stops to embroider patterns on her wedding dress, and Baca would meet with midwives and wash their feet. Which, I'm just like, <laughs> okay... I don't want to, like, wash any stranger's feet, but I also don't want to burden other people with, like, oh, hey, can you embroider my dress because I'm an artist and very important on my journey. <laughs> to me, it seems battle around. I don't know. I don't understand art, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to wash anyone's feet either. <laughs> like, at all. Uh -uh. Never. But I think it's something the nuns do. I think it's like a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they probably pulled that from, you know, they're, they're from Italy. So they probably pulled it from like Catholic happenings. Yeah. I think it's something where like the nuns go wash the feet of the poor or something along those yeah. lines. I'm not Catholic, not spiritual. So. Um, but they, they plan to wrap up their journey in May with a public performance in Tel Aviv, Israel, where they would ceremoniously wash their wedding dresses and so they were gonna wear like one wedding dress the whole time and like as dirty as it got just let it get dirty just wear it every single day and then they were gonna symbolically wash away the traces of war quote to cancel them moro said but i mean like they're gonna wash them to erase the traces of war but i thought whatever everything they're doing is peaceful well because they're going through areas where it was like oh. recently war-torn um, oh, so it's like the dust of the worn, torn area stains their dresses. Yes. Very artistic. You, you wouldn't Got understand it. it, Phoebe. Clearly I don't. Yes. Uh, Baca and Moro began their project in Milan on March 8th, 2018, wearing their wedding dresses and riding out of town on motorcycles while attendees to their opening threw rice at them as if it were a wedding. They hitchhiked through northeastern Italy, Serbia, Bosnia, Bulgaria, and Turkey, 
Morrow said that, quote, In every country, we hitchhiked rides with amazing people, from students to farmers to businessmen. Some offered us lunch. Others didn't ask us why we were dressed like that. They just didn't even care. They documented their experiences by taking photographs, keeping diaries, and recording video along the way. They arrived in Turkey on March 20th, 2008, and sometime just prior to reaching Istanbul, Baca and Moro went their separate ways, planning to reunite in Beirut, Lebanon. On March 31st, 2008, 39-year-old Murat Karatash picked up Baca from a gas station in his Jeep and drove her to Gebzi, a village about 40 miles southeast of Istanbul. Almost two weeks later, on April 11, 2008, police tracked down Karataj as a suspect after he put his SIM card into Baca's phone and turned it on. Okay, so at this point, hold on, at this point, the women have separated, right? Yep. They're solo? Yep. Okay. They separated uh, right before Istanbul and then went their own ways. We're going to reunite, but basically as soon as they separated... Pippa Baca got picked up by Caratage, and the following ensued. Oh. <laughs> so he put his SIM card in her phone and turned it on. Caratage confessed almost immediately to killing Baca and led investigators to her naked body, which had been raped and strangled in a nearby forest. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Imagine being, you know, just alone, hitchhiking with a stranger, and that's... Ugh, where you end up. I can't even imagine. It makes me think of our story about the woman hiking the trail in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're alone out in the there. In wilderness. Like, yeah, some fucking creep finds In a country you. that's not even your own. You don't know the language. Like, all those things. Yep. Adding up together. Police almost immediately believed that Karatash did not act alone because he apparently had a third grade education and didn't speak any English, so they believed he wouldn't have been able to wipe back his phone by himself. After a medical examiner did a DNA test on the fluids found inside of Baca, it was confirmed that more than one person had raped her. According to the forensic report, she had likely been raped by two or possibly even three people. And um, though her phone had been wiped, investigators were able to actually restore the pictures Baca had taken, which included a picture of each person who had picked her up along the way while she was hitchhiking. And this included a picture of Karatash further proving his guilt. And on Thursday, June 25th, at the eighth hearing of the case, Murat Karatash was given a life sentence for murder, seven and a half years for sexual assault, five years for restricting a person's freedom, and one year and eight months for theft. That's, um, oh, the whole thing just makes me really anxious. That's awful. <laughs> Yeah, at least, but at least he got the life sentence for murder, so. Yeah. You know, he's not getting out of there. Do we know at what point her friend found out about this happening? No, not not sure at all. I'm going to assume that whatever, I'm sure they had like a point in time that they were scheduled to come back together in Lebanon, and probably when, either when she didn't make that 
time or if maybe they were, you know, texting along the way and she wasn't texting back. She probably figured it out at that point. God, I feel so awful if, like, we were on a trip and we separated and then you died. Yeah. Especially if it was like, oh, we're just going to separate for, like, two days. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you ahead. Yeah. Yeah. If you were just like, oh, I don't really want to go see that town or that site. You go ahead. I'll meet you up over here. And then, you know, especially... If we were both hitchhiking, like, and if I died and you didn't, it's like, then just like we say all the time on this show, you, for the rest of your life, would have thoughts of, why her, why not me? Why did I get to right. live? Survivor's guilt and survivor's remorse. And- Absolutely. Uh, so, Kertash's defense lawyer said that his client had stated verbally and in writing that he had not committed the crime and that he demanded that a taxi driver be heard as a witness, but the court didn't allow the trial to be extended. Apparently, he changed the story and denied involvement only after forensic medical reports stated the possibility of two or three perpetrators. When Karatash was sentenced, he shouted, I am innocent, the real perpetrators are outside. The case was later seen by the Court of Appeals with Karatash then claiming Baca had had consensual sex with him. On April 20th, 2012, the life sentence was upheld with the court stating that the defendant was detached from human values and felt no remorse for his deeds. And for me, I'm like, he strangled her. So, like, how can you even pretend for a second that it was consensual? Because even if it was, how do you explain the strangling part? Well, that's what I was going to say. Even if it was, which I highly doubt it was, you still strangle her. She's still dead. You're still awful human being. Oh, and not to be like a, oh, whatever. If you saw a picture of this guy, which I will put on Instagram, you would be like, no way that was consensual. No way, no way, no way. He looks like a super creep. Did you say he had the education of a third grader or the, like, mental capacity of a third grader? Well, what I read was that he had the, he had a third grade education. So I assume that means he went to school until around what we would call third grade. And that was it. Um, Okay, because I was going to say, how is he driving? But if it was just a third grade education, he could still drive. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Dang. So people in both Turkey and Italy were, of course, understandably outraged by the murder. Uh, But some people questioned the sincerity of Turkey's then-president Abdullah Gul's condolences that he offered, because some commentators felt that if Baca had been a Turkish woman, many Turks would have felt that she actually deserved it as a woman alone hitchhiking by herself. They would have been like, oh, of course that happened to you. Like, No, no one ever deserves that. Yeah, no, Regardless of course, if you're of course hitchhiking, not. that's awful. So uh, Baca's family and uh, Moro, her friend, were quick to state that they did not blame Islam or the Turkish people, and they believed that this tragedy could happen anywhere in the world. And on, you know, my own part, not theirs, I'm like, hitchhiking is super dangerous. And I don't care where you are or how clean cut or sweet or elderly someone seems when they're picking you up. Uh, You're definitely taking your life in your hands if you decide to get in any stranger's car in any situation. Yeah. 
Morrow stated that she is, quote, not disowning the project, and that, quote, this tragedy only highlights how difficult peaceful relations are and how much work there still is to be done. I sometimes I wish I could like shake really idealistic people by the shoulders and tell them like what life is really like. You know what I mean? Like some people Like there's just bad people out there. Yeah. Like, it's not about people getting along, just some people are yeah. bad people. Some people have like I get way, it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. They have way too much faith in humanity where they really should have like none until they're shown otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the end of Piva Bacco's story for me. But I just have to say, I don't understand people's desire to hitchhike, especially alone and in foreign environments. And if you're just passing through a country and don't even speak the language, I don't know how you can even have any like cultural context to decide like who's a creep or not, you know, when they're picking you up. Mm-hmm. It's one thing if you're stranded somewhere and you're like, I have to I have to get in somebody's car to get home or to get to wherever is, you know, my place of safety. Right. It's a whole other thing to just like design your entire trip around trusting strangers to get you to where you're going. I don't understand it. That's a that's a hobby for someone else hitchhiking. I agree. Unless my GPS takes me down the wrong road. And my car's in a lake, so that's the only way I'm hitchhiking. And you're in Death Valley, and you're like, I will get in anyone's car. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's either the person in the car or I'm going to die of heat I got, exhaustion. I got one-fourth a bottle of water left. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Take me. Take me. You know, and it, it's like I remember a while ago on the Facebook group, Girls Love Travel, which we talk about all the time, there was a woman who had planned to hitchhike from... She she planned to hitchhike around Iraq and, like, between Iraq and Iran. And somewhere between Iran and getting to Iraq, some guy picked her up and seemed totally normal. And then he drove her to, like, a forested area. area and then he tried to assault her there. Mm. And she was lucky enough to get away and um, continued on with her travels Un well, I was gonna say unmolested, but she you know she had kind of been molested, but she got away with it. And um, but she said, you know, in like a, in a post after she told everybody about that, she said that it wouldn't stop her from hitchhiking in the future, and it just like astounds me because then she like posted pictures of her finally in Iraq and she was like oh you know everybody told me not to come here everybody told me not to hitchhike here but i don't know if you remember the episode of long time ago episode of my favorite murder where they talked about a girl who was hitchhiking in california and the guy chopped off both of her arms and then like threw her threw her, her down the hill down a ravine, yes. Yep. And she lived. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. was on that, like, I Survived show. And I'm like, that's all I'm saying is that there are way worse things to happen to you than just being murdered and being dead, you know? This is Ashley's PSA of, like, never hitchhike. Like, yeah, like, it's not just a situation of you can get assaulted or you can get murdered. It's like, you could have horrible things happen to you that you haven't even thought of yet you know like because there are some sick crazy people that girl from the girls love travel group she was 
young and pretty. She looked like she was about 20 years old. She was pretty. She could have just been taken and kept in someone's basement for the next 20 years. You know? So, which makes me think that there is another podcast called Red Handed, Mm -hmm. and they cover this story about this guy who picks up women off the side of the road and he brings them back to his trailer and he's got a um a a trailer he's got the trailer house that he lives in and a trailer in his yard that he calls the toy box and that's all i'm gonna say and it's one of the most horrific things i've ever listened to what's it called um the podcast is called red-handed okay and the episode is i want to say it happens and missouri or oklahoma or something like that but Mm -hmm. if you just look up the toy box it's disgusting and horrific and you almost should cut this because it is so horrific what this guy does to the people but you're right and then that's the thing though like people really people are so flippant about bad situations where they're like oh it's fine we'll be fine i'm not worried and it's like no you should be worried because I'm I'm not worried about being murdered. I'm worried about living your life with not no arms. being murdered. <laughs> like yeah, like oh my god, just all the, the so much worse can happen to you than just being murdered. Just like we were talking about with the uh, the uh, story last week with um, Jamaica with the girl, and it's like they were lucky they had a body because there are so much worse things that can happen to you than being murdered in Jamaica. You could be picked up by a sex trafficking ring in Jamaica. Your everyday life could turn into just a nightmare where you fucking wish you were dead, and that's my fear. Well, the hitchhiking thing makes me think of one other thing, we'll have to save this for another week, is couch surfing, Mm. uh... Like, not for me, wouldn't do it, but, like, I think about how vulnerable you are to stay in someone's home and fall asleep. Yeah. But I know there's reviews out there. I know a ton of people use it. Just not my cup of tea. Wait, do you have a story about that already? No, I'm just saying, like, I have a friend here who allows people to couch surf, and I'm like, no, no, there's no way I'm letting a stranger sleep on my couch. Let alone would I sleep on a stranger's couch. Okay, well, don't look into that because I have a story and I'm going to tell you next time. <laughs> oh, perfect lead-in. Perfect lead-in then. <laughs> Horrible. Okay. I would never, I would never in a thousand years let a stranger sleep on my couch. And it's just like the hitchhiking thing where I wouldn't pick up a hitchhiker and I am a pretty upstanding citizen. I wouldn't pick one up. I wouldn't let a stranger sleep on my couch. So when you're going to do these things, think about what kind of people are willing to pick you up or willing to let you sleep on their couch. But I mean, there are nice people in this world. There are genuine, kind people. Like I said, my friend here does it. But I will say, but it's not for me. There are genuinely kind people who pick people up and let them sleep on their couch and get murdered because of it. Like, that's the other side of that coin, you know? Like, that's fair. They think they're doing, a like, a good thing, and then horrible people. There's horrible people on both sides. You can have a couch surfer or a hitchhiker who is gonna murder you, or the person who's letting you into their house or picking you up in their car. Murder. Like, you never know. Or locks the doors and never lets you out. Yeah, but I think that's my fear. That's my fear. It's like you wake <laughs> up and all the doors are locked. Oh, couch surfing or hitchhiking 
both of those are just like high risk activities to begin with. Totally. You're super vulnerable. Yeah. Like, nope. Airbnb is about as far as I will go. And even when I'm staying in one of those, I will just assume that there is some camera somewhere trying to catch me undressing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's too much. Okay. Well, on that note, stay safe on the road, folks. Yeah, no matter where you go. And if you are hitchhiking, god damn it, do it with someone and don't ever split up. <laughs> like, just stay together. Ashley feels very strongly about this, as you guys can tell. Yeah, and hey, if you do enjoy hitchhiking, <laughs> just go ahead and throw us an email and tell us why and how in the world you feel safe. Or maybe tell us about a particular time when you did it and maybe you didn't feel safe. Like, I don't know, whatever. Tell us about your hitchhiking stories and send those to early departures podcast at gmail.com or get us at Instagram at early departures podcast. Yeah. Convince Ashley that it's okay. I mean, it's not, but like <laughs> attempt to convince her. All right. Well, on that note, Everyone, be safe and depart on time. Mm-hmm.